Hello and welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and we're so glad that you're here. We use our mojo to really become greater leaders. Now, let's get started by listening to something good. Oh, I feel good. I knew that. If you're a leader with managers reporting to you, I want to ask you a few questions to ask yourself. Does your leadership team work seamlessly together? Are they focused and organized? Do they function well or fight each other? Do they communicate effectively or are they cloaked with confusion? Do they make decisions efficiently and effectively? Are they hiring, training, and keeping the best talent? If someone leaves, do you have an A player waiting on the bench? Well, if you can't answer yes to all of the above, then perhaps I can help you and your team. I help leadership teams work together harmoniously and achieve greater business results. If you want a, a free assessment and a discussion, just email me, steve at managermojo.com. Tell me you'd like to, to chat for a little bit and we'll schedule a call. Thank you. That's steve at managermojo.com. Hello and welcome everyone to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and I'm thrilled to introduce my special guest today. My special guest is Liz Kislick. Uh, Liz is a, uh, has a distinguished career over 25 years as a management consultant and business coach. Uh, she's worked to gain business results for a number of high profile clients including American Express, Orvis, Staples and many, many others. Uh, she really helps strengthen uh, their processes and organizations. She's worked with many Fortune 500 companies and is a frequent contributor to Harvard Business Review. And uh, she's known for her blog, uh, in particular, one in particular called Workplace Wisdom. She gives great speeches. Uh, check out her TED Talks when you get a chance. And uh, today we're going to be talking about a great topic called conflict in the workplace. Liz, welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Thank you so much, Steve. That was a wonderful buildup, and I will try to make good. Uh, I'm certain that you'll have no problem at all doing that, Liz, and I, I, I can't wait to get into our topic today. But before we do, why don't you share with our listeners what fun thing that you've been up to lately outside of work? Oh, uh, so the fun thing is birds. My daughter is studying about birds, and she's gotten me a little hooked on them. So now that the weather is good, I walk by this pond a couple of times a week that's pretty near our house, and I'm trying to learn to identify them. Uh, how wonderful. That, that, I'm sure that's a lot of fun and a, a great thing to do. Uh, Liz, I'm really excited about this topic today because I, th I think uh, conflict in the workplace uh, is one of those things that I think nearly every manager runs screaming away from. 
and yet they know that it happens over and over again. So why don't we begin uh, by, if you would, just share with our listeners what got you kind of interested in dealing with this topic of conflict? The truth is I wasn't interested in dealing with it. When I was a manager, I was one of those people who wanted to run away from it. I, early in my career, really did believe that everybody ought to just be nice and work (laughs) things out by being accommodating, which, of course, meant that sometimes I was taken advantage of, and other times I couldn't get done what needed to be done. As a consultant, though, when it wasn't my conflict, it was a lot easier to see what was actually going on and therefore to try to deal with it. Very interesting. What a great pers- uh, perspective on conflict. Now, I, I, I just want to set for our listeners uh, a, a, a little background. I, I know and you know that conflict cost businesses a ton of money. And uh, I know in some of your work, you've run across some of those, uh, uh, those numbers. Uh, tell us why we should even pay attention to this idea of conflict. So if you think of conflict as the, the, the kind of cloud that gets in everybody's way and causes everybody to stand around the water cooler, have pre-meetings and post-meetings before and after the regular meetings, disrupt people during their day, you can see why there would be billions and billions of dollars spent over the course of a year and millions of managers. Um, It's actually really expensive, but it's a hidden cost. We often don't tally up the cost of conflict in our individual businesses. We just think it's part of how we spend the day. Isn't it interesting uh, uh, that I think uh, so many people, the question they have in their mind is, uh, you know, why the heck can't people just get along? And uh, they don't even look for the root causes of conflict. So why don't we uh, talk a little bit about that? Uh, Based on your work, uh, what do you see as maybe the top two or three causes of conflict in the workplace? Uh, You're exactly right, Steve, that people often don't look for those causes because they don't notice what's underneath the conflict. So some of the most common things are old historical norms of how people used to behave, you know, two and three generations of managers ago, and their departments (laughs) took up the cause, and, and that stuff is just underlying bad feeling forever. And in almost any organization that has more than a handful of people, you can see it, whether it's, um, sales versus operations, or um, marketing versus product development, some of these are just assumed that we don't get along because we, we disagree about things. We disagree, so we have to be in conflict. So that's one of the most common kinds. Um, second common kind is caused by procedural kinds of norms, the way business has been done. Again, it's historical, so you don't notice it every day. 
there are rules in place from regulations that existed 40 years ago. There are forms that were used in paper a hundred years ago, <laughs> and we just, we computerized them, we digitized them, but the same structures remain even though they're not needed anymore. Those kinds of things, they're so common to us, they're in, in the air we breathe, we don't even look at them as actual sources. Isn't that interesting? Uh, so what, what you're telling me is, uh, from what I can hear, is that if we've got any kind of functioning business, we're going to have some conflict. Oh, for sure. And that's even if the people are really nice, really smart, and want everybody to succeed. Totally get it. And I, I happen to agree with that analysis completely. Uh, well, okay, so we know we got conflict in the workplace. So what do we do when we, uh, we notice it or it's come to our attention? Uh, do we do like a lot of managers do, say, hey, you, you two go figure this out and quit bugging the heck out of me? Or do we take some steps and if so, what are they? So um, anybody who wants to experiment with the former is welcome to do it. <laughs> if it seems to work, it's really pretend because that's the same thing if you grew up with a sibling that's like when your parent sent the two of you off to your room to work things out. The more powerful or more scary or more verbal or whatever it was, the sibling who had the upper hand went in with the upper hand and came out with the upper hand. And the younger or smaller or slower person just had to go along in effect because power is power whether um, whether it's in name or in reality. So instead, we have to look at, and, and usually it has to be somebody outside the individuals who are in conflict who helps bring them together. And it doesn't need to be somebody outside the company. It doesn't have to be a coach or a consultant. It can be somebody on the inside who says, well, we must have some problem here, so let's just sit together and talk about it until we figure out what's really going on. And let's get that on the table. Well, you know, with employees, you can do that a lot easier than people think. Uh, it, it's much more difficult uh, if you've got a sibling and you're going through that. I know uh, because of my, my brother and myself, we were really close to, to in age, only 22 months separated us. Uh, we were both about the same size for a, a period of time before he outgrew me by half a foot. Uh, but uh, the, the simple fact was we were both very combative. And boy, when we got into uh, conflict, uh, it, it, nobody was coming out of that room without a fight. I mean, it, it was not going to be good. And uh, so I, I had to learn with, you know, how do you deal with this thing called conflict? And I, I think it, it helped me a lot uh, over the years uh, because even though you may really love somebody and I truly love my brother, uh, it, it, I, it could still be infuriating to have a disagreement with him. And oh, so it, yeah. it, isn't that true? I mean, isn't that what happens to us? Yes. So we're triggered by all kinds of things despite mm -hmm 
what's often our best intentions to stay <laughs> calm and neutral. Um, and we are so easily triggered if we think that we're exposed to some situation in which we are going to lose something. And that might be turf, it might be resources, it might just be losing face. Somebody seems to come out better, get more status, have more attention than we do. Those kinds of things can be triggering despite the fact that we're all there to get a job done. Yeah. Because some of conflict, in addition to all the things I said about structure and procedures and whatever, some of it does end up being personal. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and to think it's not possible to be there is uh, kind of deluding yourself, I believe. Uh, let, let's talk about uh, some of these people that, uh, that do uh, conflict. I just want to throw out a couple of scenarios and uh, get your opinion on it. Uh, now, I, I mean, I bet we've all seen this, but uh, there are some people uh, that you can watch the two of them, and I'm telling you, they enjoy having a fight. They're both just getting after it, and uh, you, if you're looking on the outside, looking in, you can tell, you know what, even though they're arguing like crazy, they're having fun doing it. Uh, what do you do about that situation? So um, that situation, and we see it all over, not just in workplaces. You know, there are spouses who bicker, and, and that's how they communicate. Mm -hmm. In the workplace, though, you can make the case that that kind of behavior is disruptive to other people in ways that cost money and suppress results. So spot on. And you can show people, you can go back through the story of the conflict, you can give them examples of when they were having it out in the conference room and how members of their staff pushed their chairs away from the table, got very quiet and sat small. Nobody was taking notes, nobody knew what to do. You count up that time as not only wasted time, but then time that has to be rehashed because part of how the staff gets themselves to feel safe again is by checking with the others. Are you wounded? No, I'm not wounded either. I'm okay. What was going on in there? That kind of thing. <laughs> Huge yeah. amounts of time wasted. And, and uh, my favorite is, uh, is everybody looking down trying to become invisible. Oh, yes. <laughs> And, and that has a cost and an impact that lasts beyond the argument. And uh, Liz, is it safe to say that when people that are like this, so when they're really confronted with the collateral damage of their arguments to others, uh, it's been my experience that oftentimes they'll say, you know, gosh, I didn't know that, I'm, I'm aware of it, and they'll make changes to, to behave differently. Uh, have you seen similar things? Yes, I agree with that. They will behave differently, except when they're under great stress, great pressure, things mm -hmm. are tough all around them. Sometimes, like all of us, when we've had habits, under pressure we may revert to the habit. Well, I think that it's almost impossible not to. 
yep. especially if your uh, general behavior is to be aggressive and to fight and to be competitive. Uh, if, if you're naturally driven that way, uh, that habit is really a part of your DNA. It's who you are. And uh, it can cause tremendous problems. So I want to disagree with you just a little, Steve, mm-hmm. because I don't know if that's part of anybody's DNA. Mm. I would say it's a practice they've developed because they think it works for them. I'm not saying that's an intentional conscious thought. But even from childhood, they learned that if they asserted themselves and were a little aggressive, whether they got more toys or a bigger piece of pie or more parental attention, that being that kind of argumentative or belligerent way got them something. Either it protected them from something or it got them something. Well, it's certainly true that some of it can be uh, learned from bad behavior. Uh, however, and we won't, we won't really debate that because uh, to go into uh, the psychological part of it, yes. Uh, yes. The, the simple fact is that's gonna get us off down in a swamp and I don't wanna go there, right. I wanna talk that. about. Uh, I don't want to talk about uh, that part of it. Uh, I I think, uh, let's switch over from the aggressive people to the ones that, uh, what I've seen is that most people struggle the most with those that are passive aggressive in these uh, discussions. Uh, It it seems to me that passive aggressive, meaning that uh, they they pretend to agree with you, and then they walk out the door, and then they tell everybody what an idiot you were, and how they disagreed with everything that went on, and so they sow the seeds of discontent. And yes. this is the to me, this part can cause a tremendous amount of damage in the company. Is that a fair statement? Yes, it's like they want the knife to look clean. <laughs> Liz, I love that description. (laughs) Yeah. So they're not the ones who got the knife dirty, you know? Right. Exactly. It wasn't them. And their agreeableness, their excessive agreeableness, I think comes, and, and I think in terms of these patterns, because it was easier to say yes than to have to put on the table whatever the uncomfortable facts were. It's easier to say yes than to risk that people will be disappointed with you, overtly. So they say yes, and then they leave the meeting, and they don't do the things they committed to do, or they leave the meeting and they say, well, they may have told us we have to do X, but our group isn't going to do that. That's no good. Or they leave the meeting and as you said they complain about the other people in the meeting and undercut them in ways that make it very hard for employees to then feel good about working with their colleagues or working interdepartmentally because then you have either your loyalty to your boss who you know did this passive aggressive act and you feel like you have to follow your tribe while at the same time recognizing that you're not handling the business need. What a great description. Uh, I'm curious, do you have any, uh, maybe uh, one or two suggestions? I mean, how how can we deal with this type of situation without having a knockdown drag out over it? Um, So 
the funny thing is you can't even get to the knockdown drag out because the passive aggressive person will edge away from it mm-hmm. so trying to do that doesn't actually work you have to stay extremely fact-based hmm. and talk about the things that need to be done and how they will get done and what the um, upsides and downsides are of doing them this way or that way and do sort of very detailed task kinds of plans that seem to have almost nothing to do with people. And you get agreements or sign-offs on little bits of tasks and you document that stuff to a fairly well mm-hmm. with commitments and names and dates and as fine as you can cut it because little by little if it shows that the passive aggressive folks aren't holding up their end you start having all this data that proves that and they don't want to look like the bad guy that's why they're passive aggressive mm-hmm. so that's one way to get people to start participating together or performing together. I think that's a great suggestion. Oh, good. Absolutely good. a great suggestion. You know, uh, the, the simple uh, fact is a, a lot of times when we have disagreements, uh, we want to drag the emotion into it and we forget that data really helps uh, kind of calm some of that down. Yes because then the truth speaks for itself as opposed to having different people speaking for different versions of it. Very cool. Thank you for sharing that. I I think it'll help all of us today. Uh, Another area that I just want to touch briefly on uh, is we know that conflict can happen between those people that, uh, that actually try to avoid conflict at all cost and nothing gets done. In other words, they don't know how to deal with uh, any kind of debate without feeling the emotion. Uh, how, what do we do about that? Because I see this happening over and over and over again in business. Yes, so this is actually tougher than the stuff that's out in the open. Um, so it manifests in two kinds of ways. One is organizations that insist on consensus. Everybody mm. has to agree or nothing happens. Oh, Lord. Can we both just right? agree right now, Liz, that uh, consensus is, uh, I, I got to tell you, from my own personal opinion, uh, an organization that just has to depend totally on consensus, kill me, please. I, I just would rather <laughs> be dead. So the thing is that they don't even, half the time they don't even mean it, Steve. They just don't want anybody hurt, left out, upset. They don't want those people to feel that way, and they don't want to feel that they've created those feelings in others. So consensus is a huge problem. And then you have the individual version of that, which is the decision maker who won't decide. Oh, yes. Wonderful. (laughs) You said that like one who knows. Just wonderful. I love, love, love that. Yes, yeah. one of my favorite kinds. Yes. Of, oh, your job's oh, to make a decision awful. and you don't want to make a decision. <laughs> yes. Or, the, or they flip, you know, they keep 
depending on who the last person was that spoke to them, they go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, effectively never deciding. Okay, so in both of these cases, this is very tough because they're behaving, I'm putting up air quotes, appropriately, Mm -hmm. right? They're not attacking anything or anybody, um, but they're actually not doing their job. Mm. Because (laughs) in leadership, the job is to make the right decision so the work can go on. And if you're not willing to own up to that, you have made yourself ineffective. It is often better to actually make a mistake and have to recover from it than to make no decision at all. Well, I totally agree with that. Uh, (laughs) I mean, oh my goodness, it just, uh, I've seen it uh, ruin so many people's careers. Uh, this, This idea that uh, you got to have consensus to make a decision and nothing gets done. And before you know it, either their division is gone uh, or the business is gone. Uh, yeah. y- you can't, you just can't do that. Business is all about making decisions quickly uh, and in a, a, a way that actually helps move the ball forward. And people, uh, right. I think, are just totally afraid of having to make those decisions. Uh, exactly th- so. So from, we know, and I want to shift in our remaining time to, to talk a little bit about how can we, uh, none of us really want conflict. I, I think if you want or desire or seek out conflict, uh, go see a doctor uh, because it's not really true. People don't want to do that. So uh, as leaders of their company, uh, what can we do to spot conflict and and even before it happens, maybe move away from it and and get away from conflict altogether. What are some good positive things that we can do today that would help us to uh, eliminate some of the conflict that we do see? So this will sound so simple as to be mindless. It's really just dealing more closely with the facts, the data, the evidence, the truth. Most of conflict is differences of opinion that got out of hand, you know? There is nothing wrong with having differences of opinion, and in fact, we need to have them. The... the, um, engineer who is assessing the situation is going to have a different view from the marketer who wants the software to sound like magic you know they they are Mm -hmm. going to have disagreement but if we can get leaders to say oh it's excellent that you disagree let's talk all about it and actually put the facts of the situation on the table. And the engineer says, here are all the things that have to happen. These are all very important things because without them, I don't know what will go wrong, but something will go wrong. And so here's why we have to do it the way we have to do it. And the marketer says, but I want our customers to believe X so that they buy loads of it. So then let's talk about that. 
Do we actually have to do every single thing? What's the risk of what would go wrong? Are there ways to explain it more simply? And from the marketer's perspective, the marketer's job is to figure out how to make the truth sound good, not how to make lies sound good. Anybody can do that. So it's really sharing with each other, here are all the reasons I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. Here are what I think the costs will be to the organization and therefore, in fact, to us as well. And to agree that there is a higher good we are trying to serve, whether it's our customers or some larger societal good or even the shareholders of the company, any of them. If you, if you can look at both the very big picture of who are we serving, what is our purpose, why do we exist, what are our values, and then the very small picture of what are the facts in this particular situation. If everybody agrees at both ends, most of what feels like conflict goes away, and it's actually just about resolving the tasks again. Beautifully said. I, I love that. That's great advice for all of us. Uh, Liz, I know we could go on and on all day about this topic, uh, and I, but yet I know uh, our listeners are going to want to know more about you and your work. Why don't you share with them how they can connect with you and learn more about the great work that you do? Thank you, Steve. Uh, I'm happy to do that. So uh, if you go to my website, which is lizkislik.com, L-I-Z-K-I-S-L-I-K, Dot com. There, there's a bunch of things. You can reach out to me directly from there. Uh, there's also a free ebook. I actually call it a field guide because there's a lot of information in there about how to deal with the interpersonal aspects of conflict. And you can also find my blog there. Awesome. And uh, Liz, thanks for sharing that. And for those of you that are exercising right now, don't hurt yourself. We'll make sure to include a link directly into the post uh, to go and get this information. And uh, just for our listeners, Liz, uh, you uh, had already provided me a copy of uh, your ebook about how to resolve interpersonal conflicts in the workplace. Uh, it is really terrific. Uh, it's well done, and I think it should be in your library uh, if you are a manager or leader. I think it can help you and give you some ideas uh, on how to deal with uh, conflict in the workplace. So thank you, Liz, and I hope people will take you up on that. Now, uh, That's so generous of you, Steve. Oh, listen, I'm thrilled uh, about this topic because I know how important it is to so many people. Uh, before we go, Liz, I'd like to give our listeners uh, one or two action items that they can take today uh, that would be appropriate to our topic today. Uh, I wonder what would be your top two action items that you believe managers and leaders should take today about this idea of conflict? I'm going to give you two that, in fact, we didn't talk about at all. Good. The first, the first one is whenever you notice that there's a conflict, you often notice it in your body. Your throat gets tight, your stomach gets upset, you get a headache. These are the kinds of responses we get. Notice your body 
and think about calming your body as the first way to make yourself able to actually view and then deal with the conflict. And one of the easiest ways to do this is actually to feel your feet in your shoes and be conscious that your feet are touching a surface and to focus on them and to think about them. And this oddly breaks through and takes you away from the conflict for a moment so you can get your bearings. So that's a self-management kind cool. of tip. Very cool tip. Awesome. The sec- Good. Okay. And, you know, you could do it right now wherever you are, unless you're exercising, then don't stop. Um, the second one is to always look for an alternate explanation for the thing you think is bad. And the question that I use with my clients is, why would a smart person do such a stupid thing? Great question. It's a little little (laughs) rude, but the truth is most of our colleagues are good people and are intelligent people. And we all get caught up in the kinds of structural things we talked about before. So if you look for why would this nice, good, intelligent person be supporting something that you think is completely idiotic? They have a real reason. They have some kind of good reason, even if it's their concern that somebody will be upset with them. They have a reason. They're not doing it to spite you in most cases. So look for the alternative, and then you'll find some way to talk about it. Well. Uh, Liz, two fabulous action items and both uh, very helpful to each of us. Uh, I want to thank you on behalf of our listeners, Liz, for sharing your wisdom today. My guest has been Liz Kislick. Uh, Liz is uh, a, an expert consultant and uh, business consultant who helps people resolve interpersonal conflicts in the workplace. She has many, many other uh, traits that I know would help you in your business. Uh, Liz, thank you so much for being a part of our show today. And on behalf of all our listeners, we wish you continued success in everything you do. And listeners, make sure you go get a copy of Liz's Workplace Wisdom, How to Resolve Interpersonal Conflicts in the Workplace. Liz, thank you again. Have yourself a great day. Thank you, Steve. It's been a real pleasure talking with you.